Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Addictive Pod. My name is Adrian, and today I'm joined by one of the most vulnerable and raw guests I've ever had. He shares his story of sexual abuse and addiction to drugs and alcohol, and how he was faced with the escape of suicide, but chose a new life instead. We also talk about something I never hear much about, which is sex life in sobriety. How do you date again? How do you get over insecurities around sex due to past trauma or addictive behavior? How do you recover from being cheated on? Please join me in welcoming the founder of Southern Cali Hope Dealers, Sober Fausto. Fausto, you're on the Addictive Pod, man. How are you doing? Uh, I feel blessed. It's, you know, nine in the morning over here in California, and I feel amazing. (laughs) It's just starting to get into that season in Canada where, like, I hate my life and I want to move to Cali so bad. (laughs) It's It's just just wet and getting cold. Yeah. Oh, man, it's it's like wet over here. And it's like a miracle. We're like, oh, my gosh, it rained. (laughs) True, true. You're like dying for some some rain. Yeah, I think we had like the, well, for me at least, in my 29 years of living here, um, I think we had the loudest um, thunder I've ever experienced. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. I'm like, I think we're all going to die. <laughs> Jeez, man. So 29 years in Cali. Um, are you 29 then, or did you live somewhere else before? Oh, no. I'm 29, born and raised. There you go. What was it like growing up in Cali? Tell me a little bit about like before, before trauma, before alcohol, what was it like? Obviously, you know, just when you live in it, growing up in it, you don't realize how blessed you are to live like in Orange County compared to like other places. But I mean, it was just like, for me, I was just a very active kid. You know, we didn't grow up with money. So we lived in an apartment complex and I was always outside playing around with like any kids that were like around my age there. So whether it be baseball handball soccer you know tag freeze tag hide and go seek going swimming playing video games playing uh this card game called magic the gathering i think pokemon was oh yeah yeah pokemon was around that time and then Yu-Gi-Oh, and then uh just so just a lot of activeness was like my lifestyle i was never really that person that like stood home like even till this yeah. day I, I can't like yesterday i, I had a day off of work and i'm just like i don't know what to do with my life (laughs) yeah you're like super social super extroverted eh? oh yeah totally like i i get fed energy through others when i'm alone it's like i feel um (laughs) depressed and i feel like the world's falling apart yeah i'm the same way man i'm trying to work on it because i recognize that yeah for me it's like I, I need to be I need to do better with just being on my own, but it's hard because like if I have the opportunity to see somebody, I'll I'll see them. Like I love I love surrounding myself with people that add to my life, and yeah, I've always been like that too. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a blessing and a curse because it's like it's cool because like people they see that like man like it's so cool that you can just always be helping people or be around people and you have so much energy, it's contagious. On the other side, it's like there's certain days where I know I need to do nothing. And it is so hard to do nothing. And it's like just being, (laughs) yeah, just being. And it's like, man, my mind gets so dark and so like negative. And it's just like, man, is this this ever going to go away? (laughs) Oh man, I'm with you. Um, But what was it like as you started to, as you started to grow up? I know that 
we you mentioned before like talking about childhood trauma i know there's like no easy way to introduce this topic but it's so important to talk about and i'm glad that you brought it up before we hit record because i think a lot of people uh especially addicts um they have experienced trauma but they have never talked about it with someone and they never people don't talk about it in regular friendships and regular circles so um yeah if you are comfortable talking about it like tell us what happened and how did that affect you yeah, you know, for me, my childhood trauma is being sexually abused at the age of seven by one of the older boys that I, like I told you, I was always outside playing. And when it happened, you know, at that age, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know if it was right or wrong because you just don't know. And, you know, my father was not around, you know, he was, he was there, but he wasn't there. And so, I didn't really have any male figures to go to or to be kind of guided like about life. So it was kind of like me figuring out about myself. And when I would look up to these older males, you know, and, and it happened, I remember it happened in the game room that we had at the apartment complex. There's like a pool table or ping pong table in there. And everyone left besides me and this boy. And I can remember that's when it happened. And it was like, because there was this physical arousal connected to it <clears throat> you know this is my first sexual experience so like obviously i'm just like oh well this feels good so this must be something good i have no idea <clears throat> i feel accepted now by the older kids i feel like seen i feel understood i feel a part of so i never really processed it as anything bad i don't i mean i don't really know why i didn't say anything i'm, I'm probably sure he said don't say anything or i don't really remember that part but that was the first experience that I had. And it opened up this realm of like over sexualizing, you know, so now I'm just, you know, thinking about this thing. And so I remember the kids are showing me pornography at this young age, you know, I remember just looking at it like, Oh shit, what is this? Like, what am I feeling? And so it like opened up this, this craving for it. And so it led to me wanting to be very experimental. So I was experimental with like a guy neighbor now when I'm like nine. Um, and then it led to being experimental with another person. And so all these things are going on at this young age. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling this like shame, this fear, this guilt, because it is with the same sex. And, th and then you hear people back in the day saying, Oh, like you fag at this and that. And it would make me think like, Oh shit. Do they know what I did? Like, does someone say something? Right. What does this mean? So, you know, as a kid, you're not really saying it. All this is just going through my head. You know, I don't have a therapist. I don't know how to do CBT or how to break down or play out the tape or, you know, except I don't, I'm just living with it in my head. And so I learned how to avoid feeling these feelings, which created this person of being the know-it-all, the funny guy, the people pleaser, oh, yeah. the, ma the manipulator, you know, is all, these are all ways for me to control not feeling rejected. And that started that character. And I mean, I got to the point where I would dress a certain way, listen to music. I didn't even like just to fit in. Um, you know, I got into listening to music from like Japan and France and, and like India, just like different places. Cause I wanted to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm different. I'm different. Like I stand out like, yeah, this is what I like. I want, I want to be that different person. And, um, that started the, the whole journey. And, uh, that's why when I got introduced to alcohol in ninth grade, it was kind of like, oh shit. Now I don't have to really play this part anymore. I could just drink some alcohol and now I don't feel those feelings. And all of a sudden I'm confident, I'm not insecure, I'm not overthinking, 
Um, I can talk to women. I can, I have all these friends now. It's like, oh shit. Okay. This is, this is what I needed. You know, it wasn't like a problem. It was like, no, no, this is what I need to survive. And that's what started the drinking. And then at 14 years old, when I got into crystal mass, that's when I experienced now getting molested for like several months by this 58 year old man. And it was a family friend. And again, there was physical arousal connected to it. So it's like, oh shit, like this is my fault, you know? Cause How now I'm getting this point? 14 or 15. Almost okay. 15. So again, at that age, it's like, okay, well this happened to me when I was a kid. This is something that I crave. Now it's happening again. Now it's real. Now it's happening, but I'm, I'm a little bit older, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old. So I'm thinking I have a little bit more maturity in me. So I'm so aware of it. Now I remember everything seeing it happen, but yeah, I'm going back to have it happen. You know, I'm the one going back. I'm the one that know what's going to happen. I'm the one that's seeking it. And so when I got to this place where I started to go like, dude, this meth shit is fucking me up. Like I can't sleep. I'm like hallucinating. Like I can't, do anything that I like to do anymore outside of drugs. And so I would stop using, but I couldn't stop the abuse from happening. And so now I started getting scared. He started bringing in friends in. And I remember that was the first time I prayed. And I was just like, dude, I was like, God, if you're, if there's something out there, like, please help me get out of this situation. Cause I'm not going to say anything. I, I, I don't know what to do, you know? And, uh, luckily enough, um, me and my mom and my sister were, we moved out of LA we went there for about a year. We moved out of LA, came back to Orange County. And so that's how I got away from that scenario. And wow. then um, that just started that like from like 15 to 25 for 10 years, it was just a bunch of suppression of, you know, drinking, using, dating, um, money, sex, um, partying, all these things just to avoid that all that stuff really happened. Yeah, whatever you could do to numb out that feeling. Like, because I can imagine if you were feeling shame at nine, like the shame after 15 and after like the extent to what was going on, that must have been like impossible to to be present with that. That's really, really brutal. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of just like you're building this like mindset based on suppression for so long. You're just in this constant state of anxiety, always looking behind your back, always worried one day it's going to come out. And like, what are people going to think about me? Right, right. Yeah, it all comes back to like just fitting in and being part of the group. Like the biggest fear is that somebody might find out and then they won't like me and they'll tell everybody else and no one will want to be around me. Right. Like that fear of social exclusion is so, so real. Yeah, because, you know, it's like you don't want to be the the kid that's like left out, <laughs> the kid that's bullied or, you know, it's just like, you know, they have that, that whole saying like kids are fucking, they're fucking evil. <laughs> yeah. They're so straightforward and stuff, you know, and it's like when you're a kid, it's like it's like a survival game, especially if you yeah, don't have the schoolyard is like a jungle. It's just like <laughs> pure animal instincts in the schoolyard. It really is, you know, and it's just like and this is around the time like myspace came out and then you know okay what's your myspace how many followers you got who you're top like you know um who you dating uh and then facebook came out okay cool like how many people are following you who do you know it's just like it's always this this chasing of status and like you'll do anything to have that especially when you don't have that safe place to go back to home or 
that guidance. It's just like, you're just trying to survive and it's like survival of the fittest. <laughs> yeah. Or at that point, I mean, you might not have been the fittest, but at least you're, you, you were numbed out from everything that was going on, like drugs and alcohol. Or, yeah. Drugs and alcohol and sex. These things will just, they help you survive in the way that you like, you can just get through it and you can feel okay. Even if things aren't okay. A hundred percent. You know, it's like you're chasing a high, right? It's like, I think the ultimate goal for us guys in that realm is like, okay, I got my weed. What's next? I got my alcohol. Okay, cool. I got, I got these two now. Oh shit. We got some Coke. Okay. Now, now I'm really partying. And then it's like the next thing, the final thing to get is like, okay, now I'm going to find a chick tonight. And then if I get laid, it's like, I hit every single thing that makes me a man. I made it. I'm a man. Uh, I did it. I'm successful. I, I'm I'm one of the cool guys, you know. And you're just chasing that cycle over and over. What was your What was your using like at this point? Like, to what what extent were you using drugs? Yeah, so I started using at about 14. You know, obviously just weed and then alcohol and then ecstasy, and then I tried coke <laughs> and then meth. So I'd already done all these things by the time I was 14, 15 years old. And then when I came back to Orange County at 16, uh, it was mainly just you know, that's, it, was, it was very innocent, right? House parties. This one I was like, oh shit, everyone's going to house parties. Cool. Keg parties, beer pong, you know, um, King's Cup, you, taking shots, jello shots, and, uh, you know, taking ecstasy at the parties, you know, cool. And then we'd go back to my place and do light shows and stuff, invite people over, going to raves. Now it's like, cool, now we're going to raves, you take ecstasy. And then when it got to, when it got to being 21, then it was like, oh, shit, cool now. Now I can, you know, go to the bar, the whole bar scene. And, um, you know, it was just drinking and doing blow. That's what it was. Drinking and Coke now was the thing. So from like 21 to 25, I became a bartender. I became a DJ. I was in the whole, you know, going on cruises, going on, going to Las Vegas and just partying as much as possible, right? Taco Tuesday uh wasted wednesday thirsty thursday <laughs> there's something for everything yeah <laughs> fucked up friday you know what i yeah. mean like sunday fun day um monday margarita day it's like just every day <laughs> and being a bartender i never had to pay for drinks yeah and, and it was kind of just like this trade-off of like oh i hook you up with alcohol you give me drugs you know so that whole bar scene that service industry scene it's 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 its own world that I think a lot of people get caught in because I did, you know, my whole life was revolved around just partying. Yeah. And it's dangerous getting paid in cash at a young age. I feel like any 20 year old should not be paid in cash because you just, you spend it that night. You go out, like you take each other, everybody after work goes out for drinks and it's just, they got to change that. They got to start just like doing direct deposit or something. I don't know if that would make a difference. (laughs) And that's true. I can see that because, like, there'd be nights when you're like, like, dude, well, like, bro, we always paid 500 bucks. Like, yeah. A two hour <laughs> party. Like, dude, we're fucking, let's go party. Like, everyone's like, yeah, yeah shit, let's exactly. go to strip club. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of being like, wow, I made like a week's worth of money in one day. Let me go, uh, like, set up a savings account. Nah. Right. Nobody, oh nobody thought that. Dude, I look back now at how much money I wasted. I'm like, dude, I could have saved so much money. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's all good it's all good you got to go through that learn your lessons and where did it lead you man what happened after that so w- when you were 25 when did it eventually start to hit some uh some real consequences yeah so i had, I had um i always knew i had a problem 
I remember in high school, I think I was 17, and I was drinking O'Doul's, the non-alcoholic beer, at a house party. I was like, yeah, I got a fucking problem, guys. I'm fucking quitting, you know? And, uh, of course, that lasted, like, you know, a day. And I was like, oh, fuck this shit. I'm yeah. going back. And um, so I always knew. And at yeah, 17 or 18 years old, um, I, I overdosed on ecstasy, and I woke up in a hospital. And um, I remember I was handcuffed to the bed because apparently I tried jerking off to all the nurses because I was so eat out of my mind. So I wake up handcuffed to this bed and I see my mom and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm caught. And um, literally the, the, that day I got out of the hospital, I overdosed again on pain pills and uh, my mom found me bleeding in the middle of a busy street. And so those are some scenarios of like, okay shit's happening you know there's certain people my mom's starting to know what the hell's going on but of course i didn't stop i would try to by you know getting into working out taking steroids you know started working a job and um the thing that would, would, would be that thing that would calm me down for a bit was always the love drug which is you know relationships and so have a job working out um got this girlfriend so from like 18 to 21 it was kind of like that was kind of like my crutch right i was still partying and have moments of like, obviously, you know, being in a toxic relationship, but I always kind of had this balance. And then once um, that relationship failed, um, then I would self-destruct, quit my job, get deep into my addiction. And that time I remember um, I was up for 10 days and I had to go to the hospital. Uh, I just did, um, I did too much meth and, and partying and it was just like, I remember I thought I was going to die. I thought I, I thought I was never going to be able to sleep. And I, I, you know, after that, I was like, I'm never touching that shit again. I'm never doing that again. Um, so I got a new job and that's when I got into the service industry. So now I'm in the service industry. I'm 21 years old and, um, you know, working out. I was like, cool. This is cool. Now I'm partying, but I'm not going overboard. I'm at a job that's kind of okay to party. Um, you know, life is good. I got a new hairstyle now. I'm getting more tattoos. And, uh, and then I met a girl again. So now I met this girl, 22 years old, same thing, right? Kind of calmed down and stuff. And, um, from 22 to 25, um, obviously again, there were certain things that would pop up, right? Like hiding my drug use behind her back and stuff. Uh, it's a toxic relationship. And then when that relationship ended, again, I self-destructed, but this time the self-destruction was so bad. It was, I remember like, you know, I struggle with codependency. And so when I get heartbroken, it's like the world's falling apart and there's nothing right. I can do to stop this pain. And so I never knew I was codependent when these things were happening, you know, and it was just like, I always felt like everybody was like, dude, just get over it. Just get over it. Do like, you know, like man up. And so like, I felt so weak that I couldn't do that. And so that time I remember <clears throat> this one was bad. I got so all my relationships ended in my life by me getting cheated on. That's just been the pattern. And so if anyone's been cheated on before, you know, dude, it's like, that shit fucking sucks, dude. I don't care. It's like, it's like you die inside. And it's such a, especially if you struggle with low self-worth and trauma, it's like you just connect it to that stuff. Like, man, I got cheated on because I was abused by a guy. And, and this is, this is, this is why. And so I got, I, I, I remember I would obviously get cheated on and try to go back to the relationship super toxic and i remember just like at this point uh, my jobs were like dude what the fuck's going on with you so one of my jobs fired me my other two jobs because i was working three jobs the other two jobs 
um, I had three strikes and I thought they were going to fire me. So now I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to lose all my jobs. At this point, my mom had cancer. My dad's not around. I have a little sister, so I take care of them. I'm paying the bills. And so they rely they rely on me. And they don't know what's going on with me, you know. But I know. I'm like, oh, fuck, you just lost one job. I'm about to lose these two jobs. Uh, I just spent all my money that I have that was going to be for rent and for the car payment, for food, on drugs. So now I'm going to all these payday loan places. And now I have 15 payday loans <clears throat> that I owe. And I'm like trying to figure out how to pay these things i'm in the cycle and uh i just i couldn't stop dude even though i knew all this was happening i could not stop using coke and alcohol and i was doing probably like a half an ounce a day of coke and alcohol was always free because i worked at the bar so i would just take alcohol with me and i was having grand mal seizures left and right like i can remember one month i probably had about 30 grand mal seizures and uh I just remember being there like, dude, I'm going to fucking die. And I had this epiphany, a dark epiphany, but I was like, I understand why people kill themselves now. Yeah. People would always say like, how can they do that? Or like, what were they thinking before they did it? Did they regret it? It's like, no, dude, I felt this moment of like, I don't want to live and I can't stop not thinking that. And I want to take my life and I have no control of what's, what I'm about to do to myself. Like it was fucking scary. And so I remember called one of my buddies up and uh, he was um, he was in prison for, at one point and he came out and he totally changed his life. And so I called him up and I was like, dude, I need help. This is what's going on. Like, what did you do to change? And uh, I remember he picked me up and he took me to his house and he read some scripture from the Bible. And at this point, you know, I'm not religious. I, I didn't pray or do any of that stuff. So I was just so broken. I was like, all right, what you got for me? And he read some scripture, and what I got from it was that God gives his strongest battles to his strongest warriors. And in that moment, for the first time in my life, I felt this sense of peace. Like, all of a sudden, my perspective changed. It was like, wait, are you saying that everything happened to me for a reason? Because I was strong enough to go through it so I can help others? And all of a sudden, I just felt this weight lifted off my shoulder. And I, rem and I remember, I was just like, like, I like getting high, so I felt fucking high as hell off of this stuff. I was like, dude, holy shit. No wonder why people are Jesus freaks. Like, this shit feels, <laughs> this shit feels crazy. <laughs> and, dude, I skipped home probably, like, several miles, high-fiving every stranger, laughing, holy smiling. Shit. And I remember I was like, man, whatever this is, this is what I want. This is that feeling that I've been seeking my whole entire life. And um, that's what... um. That's what, um, for me, led me to AA. You know, I saw it in a TV show. And so I just went on my phone and I was like, AA meetings near me. Went to a meeting the next day. Stood up to share for the first time about everything that's happened to me. And I heard these two magical words. Me too. And man, I was like, holy yeah. fuck. I'm not alone? People experience this shit? And so that's what started the, the journey of my um, uh, self-discovery, which was through my recovery. That's what I was going to say, man. Earlier on, you're talking about that that moment when you realized why people commit suicide. Me too, brother. Me too. Like mm -hmm. that was the that was what brought me into recovery as well. Was when I really got it and I really came close to that moment. It's like there's no there's nowhere else to go at that point. It's just it's the scariest thing you can experience when when you're when you're faced with that decision. Um 
And I hope that if anybody is experiencing that, that they can listen to your story and listen to other stories that I share and just and realize that there is another way, that there is that other path, right? That path of changing your life, that path of seeking that you had a spiritual experience. You had this insane, like no one can explain that, what happened to you. It's incredible, but it was real it, and it happened and it changed your life forever. Yeah. And for anyone too listening to just know it's okay to have thoughts of suicide. It's okay to, to think about it. It's like, I, I believe a lot of people have those thoughts, but people just don't ever share it. And um, it's like, just be open with it. You know, if you're feeling those things, because sometimes it's just a thought, you know, and if you share it with somebody who understands it, it will help you accept those thoughts and not be so afraid of what you think. Because I know a lot of people who beat themselves up for just for what they think. And it's like, yeah. hey, like, just because you think it doesn't mean you're going to do it, whether it's suicidal thoughts, sexual thoughts, evil thoughts, uh, like whatever it is, like, hey, like, we have like, they say like 75,000 thoughts a day. It's like, they're just thoughts. You know, if you yeah. don't take action on it, man, then that's all that matters. So true. Yeah. Judging yourself over your thinking is like, it's just, an, it's just a negative spiral. Feeling shame about thinking about this or feeling like, oh, I shouldn't think like that. It just... It's a, it's a bad way to, to go about it. But uh, tell me about AA. What was that like going into those meetings? <laughs> so you you had that acceptance. Did you find a sponsor? Did you start working through the steps at that point? Oh, yeah. You know, and I always share with people too. I'm like, bro, my freaking people pleasing and the center of attention and me wanting a dad, those defects, <laughs> man, that should help me out because you, you best believe. True. I was like, I was like, wait, okay, I get a sponsor. Are you my dad? <laughs> you know i'm like wait what? i'm like what do you want me to do work the steps okay i'll do it i'll do it <laughs> okay dad i'll do yeah. it <laughs> so that's literally like when, when people talk about the steps for me i was like dude that shit was easy because right. i just i was just like so stoked for like a male figure to be like good job i was like really oh my god <laughs> man i craved i craved that like affirmation from my sponsor so hard it was yeah i relate to that damn yes so you know i went in um got the sponsor, worked the steps. Yeah, I remember, you know, people always talk about like step four, you know, there's always different stories and like a lot of people go out before step four or they avoid it. For me, dude, I did step four at the spaghetti factory, all happy by myself. I was like, oh, excuse me, ma'am, can I get some bread and uh, some uh, uh, fettuccine Alfredo <laughs> pasta and my notebook? I'm like, yeah, I got this, it's happened to me. I did this shit, fuck, fucked up, I did this. And like, it was cool because like, sharing that with my sponsor and him not really saying there's no judgment from it i was just like oh that's it like no okay cool and then he's like do this prayer for your you know six and seven step and um you know the men's thing and all that stuff and it was just like for me that the aa was it was i felt motivated to go you know i know a lot of people can have different outlooks on it but i think at the end of the day you could find something negative about anything right you can go to the gym and yeah. I can have everybody do this gym is fucking awesome. And someone else going to the gym, go, this gym sucks. It's like, does it suck or is it awesome? I think it's neither of those. It's just whatever you, wherever you're at in your life. Yeah. You and, find uh, what you look for. Yeah. And so I was stoked. I was going once or twice a week the first year, you know, going in, I was sharing all the time. That's the thing. I was always sharing. Um, I was always getting numbers from, you know, people who had more time, always asking questions. If I heard anything, um, you know, I'd always hang out before the meeting a little bit early after the meeting. And, uh, I just, I just had, I just knew like 
every answer that I'm going to need is in this room. I just got to be vulnerable to share what I'm going through. So someone can give me the answer and, um, and listen to them. Like, what are they telling me to do and stuff? And, um, and with that, you know, I, I added so much more to it too. Cause like, I always tell people, dude, I didn't read that big book. I still haven't read the whole big book. I think, um, for me, my, for me and my approach, how I was sponsored, he didn't make me read the book and I'm glad he didn't because I think if he made me read the book, I, I probably would have not stood sober. Instead, we just went straight to <clears throat> straight to action. Right. And, um, I just love people in general. So it was kind of like a benefit that I, I love people so much that I didn't realize like that's such a key factor is to be of service. And I, I just love taking out people for coffee, talking with people, taking people to meetings, um, you know, making my whole life about recovery. And, uh, and, uh, and now, you know, I do read the book. I do read the book with people, but my approach too, usually when I sponsor people is I just go, all right, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Like we're getting into action. And yeah. um, l- listen to this stuff, go to meetings, come with me to meetings and stuff. Make sure you share. Let's go work out what your diet look like. You know what I mean? Like, what are you listening to for music? What are you watching? Like, you know, I'm just like, bro, we're going to, we're going to do this. And then once you got some time under your belt, then we'll start reading the book a little bit more when you have a better understanding, because a lot of the words in there, you can nitpick, you can say, this doesn't make sense. And, and it's just like, no, we're just, I'm not going to bore you. We're just going to get to work. And so. I'm really um, glad you said you said that because um, I think some people have a process of going through the book. I don't know if they do this in California. It's called mucking, where you go through the big book like line by line, like highlighting specific stuff. Do you guys do that? People do do that out here, yeah. So I did that as like I think I was a year into recovery or a year and a half, and man, it I was not at that state yet where that would be helpful because I needed the action. I needed help like now. I didn't. I couldn't wait four weeks to work on like step four. You know, it just wasn't. I'm glad that you have that approach, and I think people coming early into recovery, um, and this is what they did originally as well. It was like you worked through the steps while you were like in the hospital bed, basically, and then you were back out on. Once you got out of the hospital, you did your step nine. Like it was, there was no like waiting around six months to like go make an amends. Um, I'm really glad you have that approach. I think it's super solid. Yeah, because I think it's like I've I've learned in in my life is like <clears throat> don't judge a person by um by how they do something or you know or how they look. It's like judge a person by uh, their fruit and by their fruit. It's like look at their life. You know, if everyone's saying good things about them and you see you know, all these people love them and talk highly of them and they're always doing things. It's like judging by that, you know, don't go, oh, well, how did you do it? Oh, well, I didn't really read the book. Oh, man, you're messing up. It's like, yeah, but look at their life. Like, you know what I mean? It's like judging by that. And so, like, that was something I had to learn over time to be OK with because I used to judge myself. Like, man, I don't know the book. I'm probably going to relapse. I'm probably giving out wrong information and I'm going to lead all these other people to relapse. You know, but over time, I was able to see like, hey, I didn't relapse. My guys have two years, three years, you know, years in sobriety and their lives are all good. So it's like, you know what? Like, no, I do. I do know what I'm doing. There's a different approach for everybody. You know, we all have the same missions to stay sober and help others. And it's okay. You know, it's just like the end of the day, we know at the end of the day, right? It's like the only person that's going to keep you sober is you. Doesn't matter what I say. It's like you have to take the action. You have to want it. And God will make, oh, God will take care of you. Yeah, it's a good perspective to have as a sponsor, right? It's like you don't have that much control over this person's life. You can do your best and you can kind of put it in front of them. But yeah, you're right. They have to make that decision at the end of the day. Right. What about your relationship with God? So you had that spiritual experience. 
did you and it was from the bible so did you um did you join a church did you become really involved in christianity yeah so for me i am and i'm sure you can relate you know all or nothing right oh man i am all or nothing for everything even in my sobriety anytime i do something i go all in and i've always had a very open mind that's the thing i've always been that person like growing up i didn't have a lot of i didn't have enemies because i got along with the the nerds the jocks the the band geeks the the choir team the the gothic kids the punk rock kids <laughs> rock and roll hippies like i got along with everybody yeah. i just you know i was not that person so <clears throat> for me when i got sober and it came to the the god concept like i didn't really know what i was what i believed in but i just was so infatuated by that feeling so like sure enough i was like okay boom got a bible now i'm gonna read this stuff boom okay cool i'm gonna go to aa okay cool i'm gonna work out um oh meditation this guy jay shetty i watched on a podcast i was like okay i'm gonna start meditating oh this person says that um meats give you um anxiety and fear because when they kill the animals they're feeling this fear so when you're eating the meat it's giving you anxiety and fear and depression i was like oh shit so i went vegetarian um you know, like I was reading all these books, like Untethered Soul, Power of Now. Oh, I just started reading that. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, dude. When you read that book, you're going you're gonna to totally just feel spiritual. It's going to take you out of the human experience. You're just going to like be like, whoa. Power of Now is like that as well with having like just reading. You just read a couple paragraphs of that and it will literally pull you into the present moment so quick. Like it just it, it's an experience just reading it. Exactly. And so like. I, I was just looking for anything. You know, I did a silent retreat in uh, Portland. Um, I fasted for 30 days. Uh, I did a Wim Hof's ice, um, ice bath method. You know, I bought a tub, 100 pounds of ice, went in it for like 11 minutes. Damn, uh, you went uh, hard, man. You just- <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. I went traveling by myself. I awesome. had three months sober. I went to Oregon by myself, sit in the forest. Um, so for me it was just like just just seeking what spirituality was and i did go to church i did do bible studies um i did all these things trying to find my 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 place and uh just being open-minded to it it really i was able to grab certain things from everything and kind of create my own concept of my god i know a lot of people can struggle with the god concept because of religious trauma right i've had friends that have been you know molested by the priest or their family uses God for power instead of love. Right. And so it's like, I don't blame people for not wanting to go to church or believe in Jesus or say the word God. It's like, and I've learned that. So I'm very um, supportive of like, hey, well, what do you want to believe in? If they go universe, I go, sweet. All right, man, then it's the universe. Let's go, let's figure out what the universe wants. Or like creator. All right, it's the creator. Buddha. All right, it's Buddha. Energy, it's energy. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I've learned to just, go with everything and stuff like that and so that really helped me because again when you start walking with you know a god of your understanding it's it is it could could be it is hard actually because you can't see it necessarily in a sense you have to experience it and you have to 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 believe in these things without seeing it and stay patient long enough to see it happen for you to have that confidence that there is something and I think as long as you have the right people around you, uh, God can become more visible for you. And when I had more confidence in my concept of it, oh my gosh, dude, there was so much power in that now. Because now, now when anybody had their opinion, it didn't affect it. And I was able to be okay with the way that I talked to my God or how I leaned on my God or how I would say, 
this is how my God works in my life. And someone can be like, oh, it doesn't work that way. But like, well, it works that way for me. And my life, and my life now is um, the results of me saying that. So well said, man. That I honestly want to take that snippet of everything you said about like different people's concepts of God and just like make an animation for it and send it around the internet because like it's just so <laughs> solid i think people get really caught up on definitions and they get really caught up in their past experiences of anything spiritual like you said the religious trauma it was like i grew up catholic i had a lot of that religious trauma and the i had a very fixed definition of what god was what prayer was and it doesn't have to be like that it really doesn't i'm glad that you had that experience of opening your mind and yeah your own concept of a higher power is what's going to make it powerful. You have to believe it. It can't be what other people tell you to believe. Correct. Like right now I have a fuck the rules car set with a cat. <laughs> it's a cat too. Cause I love cats. You know what I mean? Like I've grew up with cats. And so someone could look at this from a religious standpoint and be like, Oh, you can't be having that in your car. And it's like, <laughs> I, like you know what I mean? It's like, Hey dude, I'm a good, I'm a good person. You see in my life, I probably do more good than you. I'm going to rock. <laughs> my cat with like the rules of my car like nothing bad's gonna happen <laughs> yeah yeah let's not get caught up in like little rules about like no swearing no like <laughs> let's look at the actual core message of like yeah what does it mean to to be a good person what do you actually do and i think the 12 steps has such a good outline for that it's like it's just a design for how to live and it's it does away with like dogmatic rules and it's more about lifestyle and it's more about actual action that you take which is like that's all you need it's true because like how many people in life you think would benefit from the 12 steps if they just did it <laughs> oh, everybody yeah everybody should do it because it's like i always forget maybe you did too i forget like oh i forgot a lot of people don't work on themselves like it's just not yeah. a cool it's not a cool thing to do for people so when you talk to people it's like well what's your part they're like what do you mean my part <laughs> it's like, yeah they're like did you just listen to what i said that person's an <laughs> asshole <laughs> yeah Oh God. It's like, just listen to me, man. I need someone. I need your support here. Uh, it's tough. It's tough having friendships and relationships with people who don't have the 12 steps. I, I wish everybody had it and, um, but they have to choose that themselves. You can never, you can never get somebody to do that. They have to come to that place where they need it and they want it and, and they go after it. It's very true. You know, I've that's why I don't, if you had to like, I remember when it comes to like dating, I was always like, can I date a normie? I don't know if I could date a normie. Would it be better? You know, it has its pros and cons, both of you, right? Um, and stuff like that. But I know for me, it's like, I've always felt more success with dating somebody that's in recovery because I'm so about it. And, and we speak the same language, you know, that same language of like, hey, when you said that, I felt this. I don't know if it's true, but I got abandonment issues. <laughs> so can you just <laughs> can you just clarify? And then, and then for them yeah. to be understanding, like, oh, oh, I get it. Okay, yeah, no, I didn't. I'm sorry about that. It's like, okay, cool. And you tell it to a normal person, they might be like, uh, what do you mean? Like, why, why, why would I abandon you? Like, I'm here with you right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just like, oh, now I feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, I wanted to ask you this. So throughout your whole story sex kept coming up right it, with yeah. the trauma and then also as an escape like i it sounded like it was just one of those it was one of the addictions you mentioned it as like a way to numb out a way to escape it was like almost the pinnacle of like what a what a guy's night out would be um what was that like getting sober and trying to date trying to have healthy sexuality what's your what's your path been in that area 
Yeah, so that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. It's like, so when I first got sober, um, again, like I told you, I went gung-ho about healing. Like, <laughs> I became obsessed with reading. I mean, like, if you look at my, if you look at what I own today, the biggest thing I own is books. I probably have like 500 books. Nice, uh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, physical books. And then I have a Kindle and then I have Amazon uh, audio. So I'm always just ingrained in stuff. And so when I heard about this thing, codependency, uh, I had this thought, I was like, okay, how, do, okay, I need to stop the cycle because it's me. So how do I do that? And I had this idea, I was like, I'm going to go celibate because I'll be forced to look at what, why I want to have yeah. sex with a woman so bad, or why do I want to be in a relationship? Like, what am I afraid of looking at? Yeah. And so, and so I went celibate for eight months, right when I got sober from day one, I was celibate. And I started to notice things of like, oh shit, dude. Like, I think it's like, like you said, like sex to me is a way of being accepted. That's why I'm craving it. And I need it. If I don't get it. I feel like there's something wrong with me. I was like, okay, well, this is not true. Okay. So let's work through it. So I started practicing self-love, right? I bought a book, how to love yourself. So it was, again, it was, you know, a concept I didn't know what that looked like and it was just me trying out things so it was okay taking care of my health going to meetings helping people finding my purpose um getting my finances uh in check you know um being a good worker you know just doing all these things for me and then i remember at eight months i just got back from a road trip and i was like man god can you just give me a sign that you're gonna send me somebody like please and sure enough you know uh don't date the first year well i didn't take that advice so <laughs> eight months sober i thought god sent me this. eight months is pretty solid eight months is a solid run right it's, it's better than right like the, the first month and so yeah. and so at eight months sober this girl's in an aa meeting and i always share this too i was like oh dude look at that girl oh shit she's hot okay i'm gonna share today yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna share i'm gonna get out there and i'm gonna share so she can hear my story and like I always say I have the truth version and then I have the Hollywood version of my story. I was like, I'm going Hollywood version for this one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, um, I remember uh, she ends up sharing before me and I was like, shit, okay, I'll hear her share. And she starts crying and stuff. Her dad's a vegetable from, you know, drug induced. So I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Fall. So don't, don't, don't do that. So instead I go to, I go, Hey, what's your dad's name? Can I pray for him? Well, Unfortunately, I was like, hey, what's your Instagram? And I get her Instagram. I see she likes cats. And I was like, oh, God, this is a sign. She likes cats. Okay. Um, she ends up, we end up talking. And like two weeks later, I end up moving her into my place. Like, what the fuck? Oh, yikes. Yikes. <laughs> you know, you know, you know the, 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 the savior, the Captain Saber. You were doing so good, man. You were going, <laughs> the story was going so well. I was like, damn, this guy got to figure it out. Right? And then I was like, wait, uh, never mind. And so, funny. and so sure enough, after uh, a month of her living with me, I thank God I called my sponsor. I was like, dude, you're right. He's like, yep, I know. I was like, what do I do? How do I get her out? <laughs> you know? And uh, so, so I broke it off. She moved out. And um, so, which was, which was cool for me, right? I didn't go back out. I didn't stay in it. I actually saw that. Oh shit, I did grow. So I think I had to experience that to see like, boss, you are changing in the relationship realm. So that motivated me. And so again, I went celibate again until I think about a, about a year, right after I got my year sober. <laughs> uh, I remember one of my amends was with this girl I screwed over a long time ago. And I haven't seen her in like, at this point, like in five, I don't know, eight years, I thought she hated me and she moved away. 
And uh, sure enough, I saw her at the gym and I was like, oh, shit, I got to make amends. So I made amends and sure enough, we got coffee and sure enough, she liked me. And sure enough, the amends went too well. (laughs) Yeah, it went too well. She liked me and then we ended up hooking up. And uh, that's funny. And uh, and then so but I remember when we hooked up, I felt this thing inside of me. I was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't feel anything. What, what's going on and i remember i was just like a part of me felt like because fossil that wasn't right you know what i mean mm-hmm. like my conscience was there i was like shit so you know sure enough god always helps me out because i can't help myself and so we were going to go on a cruise together um and uh she bailed out like maybe like the last week and there's no refunds and so she was like hey i can't go i gotta be with my family she's like but you could take somebody else and i was like okay cool so i hit up all my guy friends but they all had, you know, charges like, Oh, I can't leave. I can't leave the country. I was like, shit. I was like, I don't, I don't want to take any of my normie friends, you know, because for one, this cruise was a big deal for me because in my addiction, I went on a cruise with this chick and I ended up in boat jail. Wow. (laughs) So I had a very terrible experience. So this is like a healing experience for me to go. So I was like, I want someone sober. And so this girl that I knew that was getting sober, um, that I knew her before my, I knew her in my addiction. Cause from the gym, I hit her up and I was like, Hey, do you want to go on a cruise? It's all paid for. It'll be like a sober thing. Cause in my head, I was like, and I, this is from a very innocent place. I was like, look, this would be such a cool gift for someone getting sober to see like, dude, this is God. This is God right here. You know, these are things that happen. And so I took this girl on the cruise and she's super attractive, but I was like, I am not sleeping with somebody that's in this, in this place. Like I'd be so wrong. So I didn't dude, I slept in the same bed um for three days and i didn't sleep with her at all so that was cool i felt really good but i also felt so connected with this person that i've never felt and so i remember praying i was like god what is this is this someone that you want me to be with like give me a sign because i don't want to just act on um you know impulse and um i gave it a couple more months and it was such a spiritual thing and we ended up dating and um, it was going to church, going to Bible study, um, you know, going to meetings, sponsoring people, traveling. Everything was good. We got our own place together. Um, you know, the sex was good. I got to work through it in it, you know, because there's a lot of insecurities, though, because this girl yeah. was like this girl was like a 10, looked like Scarlett Johansson fitness model. And so I'm like, damn, the guys you've been with are like six foot five bodybuilders. I'm like, look at me. Oh, my God. I got all these insecurities. So it was really hard. And um it was really hard because there was a sense of I was always going to be abandoned. Like I was going to get hurt and it would change my actions towards her. I'd become this amazing boyfriend all of a sudden certain days, like certain days I was like, it's all about you today. I'm taking you out to the best restaurant, buying you this gift and doing this saying it's because I love you, but it's because I'm scared you're going to abandon me, but I'm not going to share that. And so, and so the, the sex was, was good. And um, I was able to feed probably a part of, my trauma because we were very open with our sex, right? We were, we're very experimental with each other doing stuff. And, um, you know, and I'm always open with that with people. It's like, yeah, we had a freaky sex life, but it's like, I did a lot of that stuff in my addiction. So, you know, we would do it in a safe place with each other. And, um, when that relationship ended, um, I started to realize that like, uh, I had a lot more issues than I thought. And I was still chasing, the unconsciously for the love of my father through these females, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally detached, um, 
very controlling. I didn't see these things because this person played a part of being in recovery, going to church, like come to find out 16 months into our relationship that she was never an addict. She never wanted to do these things. So again, that should have been the first red flag for me to walk away. But, you know, my, my loving kindness personality was like, man, this person's hurting. They did that. Like, I'm not going to judge them, but obviously ended in this ended in the same way. You know, I got cheated on and uh, I, I had to, I had to leave and, and stuff and I didn't relapse everything was cool it was one of the hardest moments in my life but I learned that because of all like the the struggles with the childhood trauma and just being sober having sex it's like I had to accept that sex will never be the same way for me as it is for somebody who has not experienced that sexual abuse it just won't I had to accept that like I cannot try to say it that I feel comfortable it's just not because during sex for me, it's always, you have the questions. So you have the sobriety ones of like, am I going to last long enough? Am I even good at this compared to the last one? How does my body look? Am I in good enough shape for this person? Am I pleasing this person? Um, and then the, the childhood trauma is like, um, I don't want to feel any type of submissiveness on my end because it reminds me of when I was being taken advantage of, like, don't, don't ever make me wow. feel those feelings. And so, yeah. That was something I had to recognize. I didn't, it felt uncomfortable. And, and I would get thoughts of like, I'm with my girlfriend, you know, and stuff. And like, all of a sudden I get a thought of me with a guy because of what happened to me. So now I have this going on in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, why am I thinking this during sex? And then I start spiraling and spiraling and spiraling and stuff. And it's just like, there's so many things going on that I had to accept and be open with. And uh, so now with this new girl that I'm dating, um, it's been cool because I learned so much, right? Because that relationship and my recovery fucked me up. I'll say that's probably the worst experience I had, worse than my abuse, uh, being molested, was the was being cheated on in my recovery because I thought because I'm sober, because I'm helping people, because I got God, because I'm a good person, that that wasn't going to happen. Maybe it wouldn't work right, out. Like but, the betrayal, but, the betrayal is like even worse when you're in a good place, almost. Yeah, you know, because before it's like, okay, I can I can see my part in the addiction. This, I don't have the addiction. And it was like, yeah. damn, God, you know, this is my worst thing that I experienced. Why couldn't you just make the relationship just not work out? Not get yeah. cheated on. And so that, um, it really brought me now. I see it as a blessing now. It took me into EMDR therapy. I worked through some more childhood trauma. I didn't realize. Oh, I no way. Dude, EMDR is magical. I don't understand why it's so good, but yeah, it's amazing. I've done it as well. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so that was like, huge um you know i got really deep into therapy and uh, i was able to come up now with like these are the things that i missed these are the things i need to work on and these are my non-negotiables that i go into any relationship and if they don't meet those then i don't waste my time um because i got to respect myself and i'm just super open and honest now with what i struggle with because i'm more aware i go look this is what i struggle with let me know right now because uh, if i can't share this with you then it's not going to work Wow, man. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I think it's, you're one of the first people I've had on the podcast to talk so much about the, the insecurities and the, um, what can happen in recovery as you're trying to have sex, healthy sexuality. And I think it's so important that more people talk about it. Um, and for me, it's, it's been actually the flip side instead of shame around sub submissiveness, I've had shame around dominance because that's kind of my past. Like I took advantage of people and I feel shame when I feel that old part of myself come up. 
that that kind of dominant side so it's so interesting that it can be either side and it all depends on your personal history and where addiction took you or where your childhood trauma was but it's a tricky tricky field to navigate and people need to talk about it more so i really appreciate you for doing that i appreciate that too you know i think you you've asked so many good questions and that's funny to know that like a lot of people can do um podcasts and you can tell what people are really good at it because you kind of know what questions to ask, how to respond. Cause it's, you know, questions lead to answers. And I think it's like, like you said, right. There's always the addiction. There's always that, but there's so many other things that need to be talked about because these are like the things that we have to live with in this journey and to kind of hear like, okay, other people think like that during this whole process, they struggle with that. Okay. I'm not the only one. Yeah. And you think like people who just get sober and they hear like, Hey, no dating for the first year that fucking sucks. Like and they wonder like, what's it going to be like? Like, why not? What, how, how do I get back out there? Like everybody wants that. Everybody wants the answers to that. So I'm just, yeah, I, I'm really grateful that you brought this up and dude, I could talk another hour about this, but we got to wrap this up. <laughs> it's such a good topic. It's such a good topic. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention to somebody who might be new to recovery and is struggling with getting sober or struggling with sexuality? What's one thing that you would want to leave somebody with? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing I want to leave people with is just be vulnerable. You know, um, it's a little bit easier for, I, I think, and I, again, this is just from what I've seen from with people, for women to be uh, vulnerable than men. You know, men, we got to have like this stoic, masculine, alpha, you know, personality that people you know say like we don't talk we don't trust we don't feel we're always strong but it's like you're only gonna be able to be happy and remain clean and sober if you are are vulnerable with what you struggle with and it's okay to have feelings it's okay to be sad it's okay to be depressed it's okay to be scared it's okay to not know how to date when you're sober it's okay to not know how to connect with people when you're sober it's okay to not know how to live how to save money how to pay bills how to clean how to how to look for a job, you know, or to not even know your purpose and to have low self-worth. It's okay. It's like, just be vulnerable with those things and find somebody who has what you want and um, just take direction. You know, Um, everything happens for a reason, I believe. And it it might not be true, but it's true to me. And it's a lot, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot easier and uh, joyful to give all your pain a reason, right? Because I believe if you give your pain a purpose, then it takes away the power that it has over you. And um, I think it's really getting to that place of seeing everything happens to me for a reason. I'm going to stay vulnerable to get the help that I need. And I'm going to find somebody who has what I want to, to guide me there. Well said, man. And thank you again for just being so vulnerable and practicing what you preach on this podcast, just sharing all that and, uh, and, and doing what you do, right? Like out on Instagram with hope dealers, just being mm-hmm. vulnerable and, and helping to inspire people. Um, it's, it's amazing to see. And I'm really excited to see what else you do in the next, next, uh, chapter of your recovery. Thank you, man. I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Life has life has been a blessing now. You know, uh, my life now is like a movie <laughs> and it's all because of just being kind to people. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me out here. And I can't wait till we do another episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode of the Addictive Pod. 
be sure to check out Fausto's Instagram. It is at SoberFausto. And if you're in Southern Cali or if you're passing through, you gotta follow at SoCalHopeDealers. Check out what Fausto's got going on down there. It's pretty awesome. The energy is incredible. It's basically like a rally for recovery. My Instagram is at AddictivePodcast. You can follow me there to stay up to date with episodes coming out every Wednesday. And feel free to send me a message if you have any feedback about this episode or if you want to be a guest on the show. Just send me a message. I'm happy to talk to anybody. That's all for me today. Until next Wednesday, remember, we recover together. <laughs>